Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. It is the Joe Cunningham Show every weekday from 3 to 4 p.m. Glad to be with y'all today. Bit yucky outside, but it should be clearing up. We should have a fairly decent rest of our week. Congratulations to all the students who made it through their school year and now get a nice, hopefully relaxing summer. But I hope some parents have some activities lined up for your kids because uh, kids just being at home and bored and alone is never a good thing. And you want your kids to be active and stay engaged. I know that several schools like to try to have reading lists and things like that for over the summer. Just make sure your kids stay active and engaged in something so they are returning to school ready to go come August. 232-1542 if you want to call in and be part of the show. But before we get anywhere else, I'm going to read at length uh, from the Washington Post. And... Before I do, I I want to say that some of this can be pretty heavy. So just a, a warning now, some of this is fairly heavy, but it, it it is a conversation that we do need. It's a conversation I've been having with y'all, frankly, but it's one that we need to continue to have. From the Washington Post. The gunman in Tuesday's elementary school massacre was a lonely 18-year-old who was bullied over a childhood speech impediment, suffered from a fraught home life, and lashed out violently against peers and strangers recently and over the years, friends and relatives said. Using weapons purchased this month days days after his 18th birthday, authorities said Salvador Rolando Ramos shot and critically wounded his grandmother. He then went on a shooting rampage at Robb Elementary School near his home in Uvalde, Texas, killing at least 19 children, and two adults, and injuring others. Ramos was fatally was also fatally shot, apparently by police, though authorities said Wednesday they are investigating whether the gunman also shot himself. The Texas Department of Public Safety initially said he was wearing body armor, but Lieutenant Christopher Olivares, a spokesperson for the agency, later said the gunman wore a vest used to store extra magazines, often used by tactical police units, without the armor plates that law enforcement officers typically wear. Santos Valdez Jr., age 18, said he has known Ramos since early elementary school. They were friends, he said, until Ramos's behavior started to deteriorate. They used to play video games such as Fortnite and Call of Duty. But then Ramos changed. Once, Valdez said, Ramos pulled up to a park where they often played basketball and had cuts all over his face. He said a cat had scratched his face. Then he told me that he'd cut up his face with knives over and over, Valdez said. I was like, you're crazy, bro. Why would you do that? Ramos said he did it for fun, Valdez recalled. In middle school and junior high, he was bullied for having a stutter and a strong lisp, friends and family said. Steven Garcia, who considered himself the shooter's best friend in eighth grade, said Ramos didn't have it easy in school. He would get bullied hard, like bullied by a lot of people, Garcia said, over social media, over gaming, over everything. He was the nicest kid, the most shyest kid, He just needed to break out of his shell. One time, he posted a photo of himself wearing black eyeliner, Garcia said. That brought on a slew of comments using a derogatory term for a gay person. Garcia said he tried to stand up for him, but when Garcia and his mother relocated to another part of Texas for her job, he just started being a different person, Garcia said. He kept getting worse and worse. I don't even know. When he left, Ramos dropped out of school. He started wearing all black, Garcia said, and large military boots. He grew his hair out long. 
He missed long periods of high school, classmates said, and was not on track to graduate with them this year. His cousin, Mia, said she saw students mock his speech impediment and when they attended middle school together. He'd brush it off in the moment, Mia said, but then complained later to his grandmother that he didn't want to go back to school. He wasn't very much of a social person after being bullied for the stutter, said Mia, who spoke on the condition of her last name not be used because her family does not want to be associated with the massacre. I think he just didn't feel comfortable anymore at school. Valdez said Ramos drove around with another friend at night sometimes and shot at random people with a BB gun. He also egged people's cars. About a year ago, he posted on social media photos of automatic rifles that said that he would have on his wish list. Valdez said four days ago, he posted images of two rifles he referred to as, quote, my gun picks. Two months ago, he posted an Instagram story in which he screamed at his mother, who he said was trying to kick him out of their house, said Nadia Reyes, a high school classmate. He posted videos on Instagram where the cops were there and he'd call his mom the B word and say she wanted to kick him out. He'd be screaming and talking to his mom really aggressively. Ruben Flores, age 41, said he lived next door to the family on Hood Street and tried to be kind of a father figure to Ramos, who had a pretty tough life with his mom. He and his wife, Becky Flores, would invite Ramos over to barbecues at their house for and for sleepovers with their son, who was a few years younger. He went by the nickname Pelon, Spanish for bald, because his hair was often cut so short when he was younger, Flores said. As he grew older, problems at home became more acute and more apparent to neighbors. He described seeing police at the house and witnessing blowups between Ramos and his mother. Multiple people familiar with the family, including Flores, said Ramos's mother used drugs, which contributed to the upheaval at home. His mother could not be reached for comment. Reyes said she could recall about five times that Ramos had fistfights with peers in middle school and junior high. His friendships were short-lived. Once, he commented to a friend while playing basketball that the friend only wanted to join the Marines one day so he could kill people. The other boy, she added, ended their friendship on the spot. He would take t- things too far, saying something that shouldn't be said, then he would go into defense mode about it. She and her Uvalde High School classmates had visited Rob Elementary School just a day before the massacre, wearing their graduation robes and high-fiving the grade schoolers who lined up in the hallways, a community tradition. This is the conversation that we should be having. We should be talking about how kids like this shooter, like the shooter in, uh, in Buffalo, like different school shooters we've seen over the years, we should be having the conversation about how kids with social and emotional and mental issues are so often slipping through the cracks until they just pop up one day and commit a heinous act like we saw yesterday. But that's not the discussion we have. We never have that discussion. I want to talk about the discussions that we do have after we come back from this break here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to call in and be part of the conversation, you can also reach out to me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, also facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show if you want to reach out there, and you can email me, joe at redstate.com. On Tuesday, Garcia 
a former friend of the shooter at Uvalde, uh, in Uvalde, Texas, was in algebra class in San Antonio when he started receiving a slew of texts with the news of what happened in Uvalde. He didn't believe it at first. He opened his phone's browser and Googled the shooting and saw Ramos's name. I couldn't even think. I couldn't even talk to anyone. I just walked out of class really upset, you know, bawling my eyes out because I never expected him to hurt people. I think he needed mental help and more closure with his family and love. And that is exactly the point. For so many who commit these atrocious acts, whether at a school, whether at the grocery store in Buffalo, whether any other soft target. First, it takes, if you are not in a, if you're not in law enforcement or the military, and even then, it takes a psychological toll to take a life. Those who have no problem committing these acts of mass murder have such a psychological detachment from humanity in the first place. This was an 18-year-old kid. Again, a kid. You can say 18 is legally an adult, but socially and emotionally, virtually all of your 18-year-olds are still kids. And this particular person had a lot of documented issues. Police were called to the home multiple times because of fighting between the shooter and his mother. The mother was allegedly on drugs. The son, the shooter, had a long history of being bullied and making some off-the-wall statements taking things too far, cutting his face with knives. All of these things, some of which were reported, and some were, which were not reported to authorities, to health figures, somebody, all of these were clear signs that this was a person who needed help. The immediate reaction yesterday was predictable the Democrats would come out and say, we need to do something about this. And their response is always, the Republicans just stand in the way of laws that would fix this. But not one Democrat can name a law that would have prevented what happened at Ross Elementary in Uvalde, Texas yesterday. There is not one law that could have been passed that would have prevented it. What a lot of Democrats and activists want is to get rid of the Second Amendment, to get rid of guns. But you're not going to be able to do that. So there needs to be a solution. Some new law would not work where a dozen others were ignored in the committing of this act. You have a Second Amendment. It will be almost impossible to get rid of it via a new amendment. Joe Biden came out in a speech and blamed gun manufacturers and gun owners. When the Democrats say the gun lobby, they're not actually talking about the gun lobby because the NRA has not really been an effective organization. The other gun groups are a lot smaller. 
when they say the gun lobby, they're talking about gun owners. They're talking about people who own the millions and millions of guns that are in our homes in this country. The millions and millions of guns, by the way, that don't cause these acts of carnage. These acts are performed by people who will find some way to inflict the violence they seek to inflict, regardless of the availability of whatever weapons there are. At the same time, people on the right were quick to look at the last name Ramos and automatically assume this was an illegal immigrant, that this person ran away from Border Patrol, that this was somebody who was gender fluid or somebody who was trans and they were all in an uproar over the, the trans laws or just uh, had a mental illness because of all this or whatever. They're quick to make these judgments and they're not actually looking at the problem. Both sides fail to look at the problem. And the problem is the system, which is supposed to be there to help our kids, is at times broken. And it's very, very difficult for that system to be fixed when we are jumping to political conclusions rather than looking at the state of play as to what's actually happening. There was a security officer on the campus of the school. And yet it was, it appears to be, a Border Patrol agent who was close to the scene, who was one of the first responders who got there and shot the kid, shot the shooter. Security was there. Did the security work? If not, what can we do? And I'll tell you, just increasing security in our schools is not going to cut it. To do any more than what we in many places already do would be to turn schools into prisons, essentially. What you have to do What you have to do is you have to address the mental health issue. You have to find out why the system did not work for this kid. Is it because it was a bullying problem and it was other students that were causing the mental distress? Is it because teachers or other staff at the schools ignored this kid when there were clearly issues? Was it a failure in the home? Was it all of the above? When law enforcement was called to the scene at this house, when he and his mom were fighting, what did law enforcement actually do in that situation? And how can we stop it from happening again? These are all questions that have to be answered. These are all questions that... We can't. These are all questions that we can't answer. Time and again, we cannot answer some of these questions. We can never really and truly get all of the facts. But we do know, but we do know that we have a mental health crisis in this country and that we need to work so very hard to figure out how to help our kids. It's our kids 
who are suffering. It's our kids who are falling into these mental health crises. Some of these crises end up leading a kid to thinking the only thing left to do is to go shoot your grandmother and go shoot up a school. Folks, before we can talk about gun control and before we can talk about more security officers or arming teachers or any of these facts, we have to address the mental health crisis. And it's the conversation that time and again, the Democrats in particular, overlook. We're going to take a break. We will be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 after this bottom of the hour news break, 232-1542, if you want to call in and be part of the program. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL, glad to be with y'all today. Democrat Beto O'Rourke, who is running for governor of Texas, interrupted Governor Greg Abbott's press conference today on the Uvalde school shooting. And he was shouting, it's on you. The time to stop the next shooting is right now and you are doing nothing. He said as he approached this, he actually walked up to the stage. Now, Beto is running against Greg Abbott for governor. And somebody on Beto's team decided, hey, this would be a great publicity stunt. You go to this press conference and you go after Abbott for not doing anything about gun control. Because whoever the Democrats running a gubernatorial campaign in Texas are, clearly don't know anything about Texas. Uvalde Mayor Don McLaughlin is now my favorite politician in the U.S. for calling O'Rourke a sick SOB, except he said the whole thing out. McLaughlin then said the shooting is on Beto O'Rourke. It's on blank holes like you. Why don't you get out of here? I love this guy. But how demeaning is it at a press conference where Governor Greg Abbott is grieving with the families of those who lost their children yesterday and Beto makes it all about himself in the most offensive way possible. He's going to draw in another $10 million in donations, which will mean he can buy exactly 10 more votes based on how much gets spent on Beto O'Rourke in Texas and how much he actually will get people to turn out for him. You know, in 2018, he came close. He came close to unseating Ted Cruz. And that was with a ton of help from the media. The media actually ignored Stacey Abrams in Georgia and Andrew Gillum in Florida and focused on the white Kennedy-esque guy running against Ted Cruz in Texas. But he's not getting that media attention. Now, the media is largely done with Beto O'Rourke. They wanted him to get out of the presidential race. They, they wanted him to stop running for things and stop sucking all the air out of the room. But Beto just can't help it. And now here he is at a press event that is for the grieving families. It's not to talk about policy. It's not to talk about what they're going to do next. It's to address the issue, give an update, and allow the families to grieve. And Beto makes the entire event about himself and then goes outside where cameras are waiting and gets to talk to all the reporters who are there who are secretly cheering him on for taking it to those in power. 
And I'm not just making that up. There's actually a Democratic representative who posted a picture of Beto in front of the stage where Abbott was and posted it alongside the famous picture of the uh, of the Chinese citizen in front of the tanks. Stand, standing up to power. That is the, that is the caption. They want to equate those two things. The Democrats have lost their minds on this. You can wait 48 hours to be what Don McLaughlin called Beto O'Rourke. You can wait 48 hours before you become a jerk and completely stomp on the grieving families. He was holding a press conference. Abbott was holding a press conference to share information about the shooting. Roughly 30 minutes. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, during, during that press event, Beto O'Rourke, while Abbott is speaking, takes to the stage, walks to the stage, and starts shouting at Abbott. And Abbott actually doesn't say anything. It's the mayor of Uvalde, the, the mayor of the town where the shooting occurred, who shouts and cusses at Beto O'Rourke, and it's law enforcement that drags Beto out of there. This is crazy to take that event where information is being shared and families are gathered and a community is trying to grieve, and you go in and you make it a press event about yourself. You go in with a publicity stunt to put, make sure all eyes are on you. That is despicable. That is, without a doubt, one of the most despicable displays I have ever seen. My friend uh, and, and colleague at Red State, Brandon Morse, who lives in Texas, He wrote, it's actually the, the top post at redstate.com. You can go to redstate.com right now and, and read what Brandon wrote. Sick is the correct term here, Brandon says. If O'Rourke really wanted to help the situation, he would have waited patiently and spoken to Abbott personally. He would have asked what he can do to help, and if time permitted, he would have told Abbott he'd love to sit down and discuss the ideas and options. It would have been the proper and noble thing to do. Two politicians coming together who are running for the same office sitting down and talking about the issue that's in front of him. Instead, O'Rourke did what O'Rourke does. He, what he did was, uh, he did what was necessary to make a spectacle and put the attention on him, even if it makes him look bad to everyone but his base. And that's the thing. Beto's base is far left. It's not even moderate left in Texas. Beto's base is far left. And you know what Beto just did? You know what Beto O'Rourke just did. He just gave Greg Abbott about 10 more points in, no, in the November election. Abbott, up until right that moment, actually was still pretty vulnerable because a lot of folks in Texas are still upset about the energy situation from last winter. Not this past one, but the last winter when they had all the power issues because of that deep freeze that kind of came out of nowhere and that Texas wasn't prepared for. But now Beto has decided to make gun control his issue. And he's just given everybody who's kind of on the fence about Abbott over the over the, the deep freeze and the power problems. They've now pushed, Beto's now pushed them back to Abbott. Strategically, that was a mistake. 
but Beto was a complete beehole at that press conference. And as a result, he was escorted out by law enforcement. He got in front of the cameras. He got in front of the microphones. He said all the stuff that Beto O'Rourke was going to say. And he did nothing. He did not help. He did nothing to fix the issue. He made a tragedy about himself and about his election. And that is disgusting. And it's infuriating. And you, even though it's in Texas, it's a state over. Some of y'all have friends and family there. Some of y'all have relatives there. Some of y'all have been there or might be from there. Texas is our neighbor. And what happened in Texas still hits a little close to home. It hits close to home for me. I have family in Texas, but I'm also a teacher. God forbid something of that caliber happens at a school I'm at. And for Beto, I'm sorry, Robert Francis O'Rourke, forget the Beto stuff. For Robert Francis O'Rourke to make that event about himself is beyond the pale. It's disqualifying. And anybody who thought, well, I'm not sure about Abbott, needs to look at that and realize just what a jack wagon they'd be electing if they voted for Robert Francis O'Rourke. Let's take a break. When we come back, your calls, if you've got any, 232-1542, and some of the other news going on around the country. I do want to talk about the elections last night. We'll spend the last segment on that as well as your calls here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to be with you all today. If some of you all are wondering where UL baseball pregame is, well, the game has been postponed. It was set for 4 o'clock. That was uh, UL versus South Alabama at the Sunbelt Conference. That game has been postponed. Stick around. Uh, We should be getting some more information on that sometime, and we'll let you know what the revised schedule will be. In the meantime, 232-1542, if you want to call in and be part of the program. I want to jump over because I mentioned, I I gave you all a preview yesterday, kind of what to expect in the the primaries that happened yesterday. I I think some fascinating things happened. I want to tie some of them together. Obviously, if you if you paid any attention to the media, everybody was focusing on Georgia, and it's clear to see why. Those were the most vocal races that Donald Trump was getting involved in. And obviously, the media was really dead set on making yesterday's primaries in Georgia all about Donald Trump. And I was very skeptical of that, but now I'm not so sure, and here's why. Brad Raffensperger, Georgia's Secretary of State, was probably the most hated man by Donald Trump after 2022, even more than Brian Kemp. And Trump vowed to basically go scorched earth against Brad Raffensperger. And Raffensperger got away without uh, a primary, or without a runoff. He, uh, his, his Trump-backed opponent was Jody Heiss, congressman. And Raffensperger got over 50% of the vote. Now, you do need to know that Georgia is an open primary state. So, yes, there were crossover votes from the Democrats, probably. But and, and a lot of Trump supporters are, are pointing to that as the um, as the reason that uh, Raffensperger was able to win, yada, yada, yada. The problem is 
Raffensperger was ahead even without the, you know, roughly 7 to 10% that is kind of estimated that Democrats might have jumped over on that one. But here's the thing. If the Democrats were trying to cause disruption among the Republican Party, if they were trying to make it easier for them to win, because remember, Raffensperger, although he was very much against the Stop the Steal stuff, he was also a big proponent of the quote-unquote Jim Crow 2.0 law, the Georgia election law, that actually made it easier to vote in Georgia. And we saw as a result, turnout was way higher in Georgia because of it. But Raffensperger supported that bill. So it's not like the Democrats would really be like overly enthusiastic about him getting back into office. If the Democrats really wanted to screw with the election, you would think they would go for Heiss or for somebody like that or some other candidate in order to cause that level of confusion and make the Republicans spend longer spending money on each other so the Democrats can secretly go back and build up their own guy and make it a more competitive race in the primary. You would think that would be the strategy. But getting Raffensperger in... And him be without needing a runoff in his primary, getting Raffensperger in only makes sense if you come to the same conclusion that the Republicans came to ahead of the Virginia election in 2021. I've told you guys this before, and I know this for a fact because I've heard it from multiple sources. Both the Democrats and the Republicans ahead of the Virginia election in November 2021 had polling that showed the same thing. A majority of voters actually wanted Congress to investigate and get to the bottom of January 6th. Both parties had that information, and they turned and they went opposite directions with it. The Democrats interpreted that information, they, they, they interpreted that polling data to mean voters really care about January 6th, and they want there to be, in, they, 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 they think it's a big threat to our democracy, they, they want there to be punishments for it. And the Republicans interpreted that to mean voters want us to get to the bottom of it and move on. And so the Republicans took the move on part and ran with it. And what happened? Republicans swept Virginia. But now look at Georgia in particular, and also look at Alabama. In Alabama, Mo Brooks, Congressman Mo Brooks, was backed by Trump and ran a fairly complacent, not really active campaign. He was kind of banking on Trump's endorsement to back him up, to, to really carry him across the finish line. But he also talked about the 2020 stolen election stuff. And then what happened? His campaign, his numbers started dropping. And so Trump abandoned Mo Brooks and picked Katie Britt, backed her. She, by the way, is an establishment pick. She's not very conservative. She is a Chamber of Commerce Republican, a National Chamber of Commerce Republican. But that's who Mitch McConnell wanted. And Trump backed her. And you know what happened when Mo Brooks started talking about we, we got to move on from 2020 and he got dropped by Trump for it? You know what happened? His numbers rebounded. He got a surge. And now he and Katie Britt are going into a runoff. In Georgia... Brian Kemp blew David Perdue out of the water. Trump was backing Perdue and then kind of saw that Perdue's numbers weren't great and kind of eased away from that without saying he was backing away from it like he did with Brooks. Kemp blew Perdue out of the water. And Brad Raffensperger made it to the election without a runoff in the primary. 
Now, if you put those three races together and you include the information about Virginia I gave you, there's one conclusion to make. People are tired of talking about 2020. Look at what's happening in the United States right now. Economic issues, formula shortage, inflation, high gas prices, all of these issues that are affecting Americans in the present and the future looks even more grim. Why would voters care about a candidate who wants to go back and relitigate 2020? They don't. They want to move on. They want solutions to their current problems. And yes, you can say, well, that doesn't really affect the Secretary of State's race, and that shows in the numbers. But you know what also shows in the numbers? Voters recognize that Raffensperger was trying to move away from it. He did not want to be part of this 2020 discussion. And he supported a good Georgia law. He's the Secretary of State. He's in charge of elections for the state of Georgia. He supported the Georgia election law. And look what happened. Turnout surged. The early vote surged. Republican early vote surged. That never happens. Republican early and absentee vote was dominant in Georgia. That never happens. But Republicans were motivated. And voters had better access to the voting booth without there being these drop boxes and all these other issues. The voters are ready to move on from 2020. They're ready for the Democrats to move on from January 6th. They're ready for the Republicans to move on from the stolen election stuff. They want solutions to the current problems. And that's what you saw in Georgia's elections yesterday, and that's what you saw in Alabama and what you've been seeing elsewhere. The Trump-backed candidates who aren't talking about 2020, they're winning. The Trump-backed candidates who are fueling this vendetta brigade about 2020, they're not winning. And that's what you have to understand, is that right now, it's all a fight for the present and for the future. We can continue to relitigate the 2020 election until the cows come home. You're not going to sway a single voter. All of the polling, all of the data that's out there, the stuff that's affecting you personally is all about the economy and the current direction of the country. And the Republicans need to remember that. Y'all, I'm going to take a 23-hour break. I'm going to be back with you tomorrow right here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. And check out the podcast version of the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also reach out to me, Joe, at RedState.com if you'd like to email. I'm going to take a break. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow right here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL.